What's up, everybody? Uh, this is part two of a three-part series of Off the Cuff with Jamie Gonzalez. So if you're just now joining, make sure you go back one episode to part one. And we hope you enjoy part two. This produce for the box, how do you get your I stuff? I steal it. No, I don't. <laughs> oh, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> it's a cartel thing. No. Um, also, a different podcast. We could talk about cartels and produce. Like <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, I have a lot of stories. So, I source it from a variety of places. We source local, we source national, we source international. Mm-hmm. By nature, we are a produce distributor that has always done that. Mm-hmm. And so part of our specialty is being able to find anything anywhere at any time. Sure. And me personally, I've always been known for that. Also, that's why I'm the blue guy. And so, you know, <laughs> you can get anything, whatever you wanted to do. And um, and so we, we stick with that structure. Sure. What we use in our produce at our markets and in our boxes and in the corner stores, it's all overlapping, right? It's all coming from the same palettes. It's all coming from the same cases. It's all coming from the same produce that we're selling to like restaurants and caterers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are there things that we have in our markets and our boxes sometimes that we're not really selling to restaurants? Yes. I look for opportunistic buys. Mm-hmm. I look for things that normally don't sell for that price and for some reason the market is flooded with them. Yeah. I look for that type of stuff so that we create opportunities for people to see more variety at a price point that's more realistic to them. Mm-hmm. We also try to teach people in those moments that like maybe it's going to be like 25 cents more at HEB sometimes. But if you're not throwing it away because you learned that you liked it, mm-hmm. then you're not wasting your money. You're wasting your money when you throw the broccoli away every time. Yes. Because yes. you buy it and you don't eat it. The spinach. Yes. Ugh. Buy it frozen. Like don't buy it fresh. Like unless you eat fresh salads all the time, buy frozen spinach. Buy it chopped and frozen, loose in the bag, not the little square. Okay. And okay. then when you cook and you're making like all sorts of stuff, soups, stews, little spaghetti sauce, right? Just throw a handful in. Mm-hmm. Like just be like, nice. Yeah. They yep. Just throw in a handful. And then you've got that like handful in and it's the green thing. Green vegetables have more protein. Spinach has the most. And so like that's another way to add protein into your life without adding more animal-based meats as well. Yeah. I yeah. love meat. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah, but, me too, but yeah, no, too no. much of it. Yeah. It's a lot of good things. I start getting older, and then yeah. I, when I broke my neck a few years ago, after I had that surgery, and they were like, look, you know, now you have this implant. I have a, I have a piece of titanium, but I also have a, a cadaver bone, and I call it my dead guy bone. And so my dead guy bone that I inherited sits right behind where the scar is, actually. And, uh, and they went in through my throat. And they told me after I had that surgery that I always had to have a high protein diet afterwards and that I could never smoke tobacco again. And I am from, you know, here. And I started smoking cigarettes when I was 11 years old. But what, why did they tell you have to have a, have to have a high protein diet? Um, so a lot of people that have like the, like the implants that are done on their spines, uh-huh. um, the high protein diet helps with the initial bonding of the implants oh, and, then, and, and strengthens your bones. And then people with spinal cord injuries like mine, where I like, I'm still a walker. Like mm. I, I walk, I use my hands and stuff. But there are uh, signs in my spinal column that show like a degenerative nature that kind of go hand in hand with what had happened to me. Oh. And I show early signs of arthritis. So mm-hmm. they always recommend that high high levels of magnesium also. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah high levels of magnesium. Yeah, and with the green vegetables, the magnesium and the protein go hand in hand actually. Nice. So, yeah. That's awesome. Well, not that you broke your back, but... <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, that's not awesome. Yeah. But the only reason I survived that... Um, I, don't, I don't know how I broke my neck. I woke up one day in a lot of pain. I've been carrying 5,000 pounds on my back in my warehouse when I had this oh, wow. salsa. Wow. And I was not taking good care of myself. Mm. I was running a business, and I, and I thought I was being healthy, and I was losing all sure. this weight. Um, but I was coping with the stress of that business, not only by working like 20 hours a day and practically mm. living there, um, but by drinking an inappropriate amount and oh. by, um, you know, taking whatever I could to keep going at that point. Sure. Not math. I didn't do math or anything like that, but, um, it wasn't, it wasn't math. It's not math. Um, but anyway, so I wasn't, I, I wasn't taking care of my body the right way and I was already the produce lady, you know, and I was not taking care of myself until my body broke. You know, that's really what it did. And 
emotionally and mentally, I was broken long before I broke my neck. Oh, yeah. Which is what led me there. For sure. You know, and that, that's, you know, family hurt and brother hurt and stuff like that. And so um, when I found out what it was, there was emergent surgery that was done. And at one point, it happened over six weeks. I told my husband, I was like, I think I'm dying. I was laying there and I told him that. And he goes, Jamie, you're not dying. Like, don't. But I've almost died five times. But so he, he was like, you're not dying. And I was like, but I've almost died before. No. When uh, they did the MRI and they showed it to us and they read it to us, my spinal cord looked like a like a straw that had been broken and pinched. Oh. You know, like when you drink out of a straw that's cracked? Yeah. yeah. And like you're getting some of the liquid. But you're not getting all of it. But it's not right, right? Yeah. That's what was happening to me. And so I started losing the ability to swallow. Um, that's oh, why I sound wow. like a smoker, actually, because of, of that. I lost the ability to use my right arm and my right hand, part of my left leg during that time. And when we went to the neurologist after we got the MRI done, they were like, look, this is really bad. And if you don't have the surgery in the next 30 days, everything that's happening is going to be permanent. And if you don't have the surgery at all, we give you less than a year to live. And I looked at my husband and I went, I looked at the doctor and I said, so I'm dying? And he said, yes. And I looked at Lucas. We've been together for 30 years. And I went, I told you I was dying. And then I started crying. And I had the surgery like three days later. Yeah. Uh, it was my daughter's first day of high school. Mm-hmm. She's a freshman at Texas A&M now. And uh, on a full ride, I have to say that at least one time. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And she's awesome. And, uh, and she helped me recover. But I lost my business. I lost my home. Mm-hmm. I almost lost my family and my husband. Mm. Um, I lost everything. I have failed before. I'm not afraid to fail. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm not falling down, then I didn't live. That's what I tell people when I get hurt. Mm-hmm. And people have wanted to put me in a plastic bubble my whole life. Sure. And, uh, you know, if I didn't fall down, I never lived. But I fell at that moment. And not mm-hmm. only did I not know if I could, like, feel again. Mm-hmm. I don't feel all of the left side of my face still. Um but I didn't know if I was capable of being like the badass that I thought I was prior sure. to that. Yeah. And it was very, very sad. That was the darkest time of my life. Sure. I've been through some weird dark things, but like yeah. that really, really was. And had I not had the relationship that I do with food, not in the comfort eating way, like I have those things too. I clearly never said no to a taco, but <laughs> in the sense that like, I knew I still wanted to feed people. Mm-hmm. And I knew that there was still going to be, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I knew there was going to be a place for that. And and I started cooking again for myself. Mm. And then started, like, getting competitive about it. And then cooking with my chef friends who I never cooked in a traditional kitchen with them. And, oh, I'm going to cry. And, uh, and so many of them were like, just come in here and do it back here with us for a while. Mm-hmm. And none of them wanted to pay me very well because you get paid shit in the kitchen. And so had I not had kids, you know, I would have been like, oh my God, I just want to make French fries for now. But, um, I'm sorry. And, uh, but I, I went through that and then COVID hit mm. and all of these chefs didn't know what to do and they didn't know what to do with themselves. And I employed them. They made boxes with me. Mm-hmm. They delivered produce boxes for me. Like, um, they gave me a reason to go. I kept feeding them. I said no to a very unpopular box program here that still fed millions of people here, the USDA Farm and Family Box. I was all over the news. I told this dude to go fuck himself. And like, um, and that is also why I got the county box. But I, um, I found my purpose again mm-hmm. in everyone else's darkest moment. Mm. Because the isolation that people felt during COVID. Sure. I had already been there. I had just been there. Right. I had just started walking. Yeah. I had just been like feeling, I was, I just mourned the loss of who I thought I was supposed to be mm-hmm. and learned to, that even though you don't celebrate right away things, to start to celebrate the things that were going on in between yeah. in a way that I never did before. Um, I work a ridiculous amount now, just like I did back then, mm-hmm. but I don't, I take care of myself different. Yeah. I take care of my family differently. Right. The things I knew not to do, I did. And I broke myself doing them. And I told myself that if I ever had a chance to come back from that, I would never do that again, right? Mm-hmm. You make those mistakes. Yeah. And um, and, it, and, it, and this is what came from it. Yeah. You know, we did, the first market I did with the Heart Association was in May of 2021. 
a year after I started delivering produce boxes to people. And I did, between May of 2021 and December of 2021, I did 16 markets. Yeah. Last year, I did 60 markets. Six zero. Yeah. This year, we will do over 100 traveling markets throughout the city. In December, we serviced 300 shoppers. In February, we serviced 600 shoppers. Dang. They bought over 20,000 pounds of produce in February. Alone. That's, that's awesome. And an appropriate amount, not like 30 and 40 pounds at a time. Sure. Yeah. Never do that. You'll never eat it. You're going to throw all of it away and you'll never eat produce. Well, I do that buying one pound of produce, so there's that. <laughs> We need to get you on the root veg. We, we, we need to. We do. We yeah, do. We do. Exactly. So, it's the lazy produce. We'll be okay that way. Yeah. It well, forever. I, I know. I know. I keep, and I say this all the time. I say, this is going to be the last time I buy this freaking bag of spinach. I never eat it, but I need this you know, tonight. Also, arugula goes bad really fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I, I just want, there's just a simple salad that I make. They go bad the fastest and they cost the most. Yes. They go bad the fastest. Yeah. Oh, man, they're so good, though. I love arugula. I do, too. Yeah. Um, I do, too. So, um... Put it with your tuna. Chop it up in tuna. Arugula and uh-huh. tuna? Oh, yeah. You get this peppery taste, yeah. right? That's... From the, you know, and for people that arugula. don't like arugula, they're like, oh, I don't like it. It's overpowering. Because it has a peppery wasabi mm-hmm. taste. Put it in tuna. You get like you get flavor from those kinds of foods without adding things like salt and fat. Oh, nice! Now fat's good in food, and salt's good in food. I'm not telling you to take either of those things totally away. It's the types that we use. But when we start adding layers of flavor without adding the additional stuff, so that yeah. the naturally occurring salts are okay, that's the way you do that. Yeah, oh. that's one of the ways. You, arugula is really good. I hate broccoli. And um, and this month, I'm demoing broccoli. At the I saw that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, I hate you too. <laughs> I hate you too, broccoli. I don't like it. And I always tell them, I'm like, I throw it away. It's an ice ball. I love the. I love doing the classes with them. Um, but I did the broccoli like almost shredded down, like just really mm-hmm. finely cut mm-hmm. into a right like a traditional tuna. I do it a little less creamy, and in that moment, mm-hmm. it's super good. And so you now, shred the broccoli into the tuna? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. And it really, if you just take your knife and keep, like, shredding it, it's going to break down, like, yeah. super easy. Yeah, yeah. And I put that into the tuna, and you can eat that cold, or you can do, like, ooh, noodle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alternative tuna casserole. And for the seniors, I put crispy fried onion on top, like, one or two, yeah. just to make them feel like they were having something bad still. Because that's how <laughs> I still do that. Like, I love chicharron. <laughs> Um, I was not allowed to, it was, it's Lent, I'm not going to crush the chicharron, but I love chicharrones. Um, my husband, who rarely tells me no, honestly, like, that's a hard, hard thing with me. Um, but occasionally he'll put his foot down and be like, you cannot do that. Like, you just, you can't do, like, you can't do that. One of them is he tries to prevent me from eating chicharrones now, okay? Because they're a dusty food. So stupid. And oh, like they leave. No, 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 no. That would be a good reason too. Because oh. that, that would mean he was like crazy. He's one of those crazy, I leave the door, I leave drawers open for no reason crazies. <laughs> Not like that though. It's because um, foods that are kind of dusty or crumbly, I choke on them very easily oh. ever since I got hurt. Yeah. And he's been through one too many, like, <gasps> I'm sure it sounds amazing. Um, and he's just like, you did this to yourself. We had to call the EMS at one point. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then, then he was just like, no. For eating chicharrones? Because I, yeah. And, and then oh. I had, so, and my closest friends, they know this, right? And, and my husband's not, like, like super social. So when I go to, like, food events and stuff, he's not really at a lot of those. I have, like, I have a food husband for that. And uh, he goes to the food events. But our closest friends know, and they'll see me try to eat them, and they'll be like, no. <laughs> no. If you choke here, Lucas is even here. And so, um, but I did a, I do like an elevated corn in the cup and uh, I did that at flavor also, but I, I've done it for the seniors. And when I do that, I crush up the chicharron mm. and, uh, I like to do the chili lime ones Ooh, yeah. nice. and I crush them up on top of the corn. So you get a little bit still and so you're not eating a whole bag of chicharrones because I'm going to eat the whole freaking yeah. bag. Yeah. I'm going to eat the whole bag. Poppy can't stop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> real chips. Um, and I like to do that because if I'm going to ask you to do more of something that you don't normally do or that you're going to eat something that you don't normally eat all the time, like kale, you know, and stuff like that, then I'm going to pair it with something 
that you're very familiar and comfortable with. Yeah. Because yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, it, it becomes very accessible to you. You have like this connection of it now. I'll stick anything in an avocado. I'd be like, here's some cabbage. Put it in an avocado. Like, that's... Um, Come on. Uh-huh. I'll eat it. And you're like, I'll eat that now. I will totally eat that. It's a lemon. Because it, it connects with that. And, you know, we, people talk about, like, do we serve culturally relevant foods? Are we putting culturally relevant foods in our boxes? Mm-hmm. Are we taking culturally relevant foods that are indigenous, right, mm-hmm. um, to the markets? And, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword at this point. Right. Because when we say that, the majority of the time... In the group that we're talking about in that context, we're actually only still acknowledging one cultural group. Yeah, it's ours now, though. Ours hasn't been acknowledged enough, and I and I absolutely agree with that. But if we do not acknowledge the other cultures that are in our community, then we aren't really including everybody. Yeah. And when we don't do that, we also don't learn the nuances of what makes us complementary cultures. Not necessarily the same. Yeah. Not yeah. that we're you know, but like. What are the flavors and the varieties of things in our culture that give us common ground, mm-hmm. that help us build community together? Yes. And we yeah. do that through food and through flavor. And so, like, I do, um, I like to tell people that when you eat curry, because a lot of people are not familiar with curry, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot more curry available in San Antonio than there has ever been. But that yes. those of us that grew up eating any type of, like, guisado or yeah. stew, it's curry, you know, and and that the textures and the the different uh, meats and vegetables they're going to be very similar. Yeah, the spices overlap a little bit. Yeah, and when we look at like Asian food and Latin food, when we start to look at the heat of the peppers, uh, the different types of cilantro and the herbs that are involved in there, we see a lot of overlap in that. Mm-hmm. So we like to offer them. Like I didn't know that chayote squash was huge in the Filipino community until I started putting it at my market tables regularly. Mm. And this lady had this moment with me and she's like, I grew up eating that. My mother always made it. And she's all, we were from the Philippines. And and we had that moment, you yeah. know? And so when, when people ask me, they're like, are you, are you putting culturally relevant foods? And I'm like, for all the cultures, yeah. you know, there, there's that, yeah. um, to assume that we should only eat one kind of food because yeah. of what we grew up with also. Sure is how we got here, right? Like, yeah. It's how we get back to that, like, I only ever ate peas and carrots and corn, you know, yeah. and stuff like that, because we didn't have that understanding of the cross-relationship of the flavors and the varieties of foods. People that work in the food industry, it's part of the food privilege that we have mm-hmm. because we're exposed to those things in mm-hmm. a different yeah. way. Mm-hmm. And even during COVID, you'll hear a lot of people that worked in the food industry where maybe a lot of us lost jobs and we didn't have, right? When we had or when we were given, mm-hmm. we never had a moment where we didn't know what to do with it. And, uh, you know, it's already hard enough when you're in that food distribution line because you don't have. What happens when they hand you something and you still don't know what to do with it? Yeah. yeah. You know, that is an even more hopeless feeling in that moment. It it is yeah. it is and my mom so my mom does go to you know she has been in those lines mm-hmm. and we've even been in situations where you know she's asking me hey I don't I don't know what to do with this do you, do you want it and I feel almost like well what was the point of my mom going to the food bank if she's giving away the food that but it, it it makes me think about something you said earlier. It, even though it was funny, right? It was that meme that you shared. It's that um, you don't you don't hate vegetables. You just don't know how to cook. Your parents didn't know how to cook. Yeah, they I I love I love that, and it it is funny. But I think that there's some truth to that. I think, and now that, that's really my next question is, um, when we're thinking about the big fresh market box, we're thinking about the produce. But does this produce box or does the program um empower people to cook with these things that they wouldn't normally cook with or eat or anything like that it's a very good question <laughs> so at a market it's different because they're talking we're, we're in that moment talking mm-hmm. i have a lady that comes to every one of my johnston library markets it will be there tomorrow from three to five and uh <laughs> it's a super fun and that's right by here yeah that's yeah, 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 yeah. it's a very popular market i have a woman that comes every single month and she asks me for the little green balls the little green balls. They're Brussels sprouts. Oh. Yeah. And, <laughs> okay. and she still just calls them the green balls, but they're Brussels sprouts. And we have talked to all of the things about Brussels sprouts at this point. So 
in those moments at the table, we're like, we're doing that. When it comes to the box, right? How do we do that? Are we filling it with recipes? I don't fill it with recipes. Most people can access a recipe at this point. Yeah, sure. we do some recipe. But most people can access a recipe. Mm-hmm. What they don't know how to do with it is like store it and cut it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Put it away. Or I am putting things in the box that they don't normally buy. Because all of a sudden you're going to open the box and I'm going to give you like an eggplant. Right. Eggplant's super good, like a, a good example, because eggplant is something that people are like weirded out. They think it's like hard to cook it. Yeah. They only want to fry it. You know, yeah. I like fried things, but they only want to do like eggplant parm. And I also know that I come from a community that loves dip. Like we love salsa. We love yeah. bean dip. We love ranch dip. We like a set, you know, we love all the dips. Like we, we love dip. We're a bunch of dippers. Here. We are. Um, and when I sold salsa, I learned that when it's one of the most competitive spaces in the grocery store, it's like a whole mafia, but, um, <laughs> different podcast. So they, uh, but the dip is like, I think in that way, how do we like, what's going to seem familiar. Mm-hmm. We're also very comfortable grilling here. Oh yeah. Okay. So when you get your box, there's like a paper that comes inside the box. It tells you all of the things that are in the box and how many you should have. And on some of the items, not all of the items, but on some of them, it's going to give you tips on what to do with it. Like if there's celery in the box, it tells you to wrap your celery in foil. It's the first thing that I teach people to wrap produce. It's always my free tip. Wrap your celery in foil, completely wrapped, Didn't and then know. take it out as you need it. Like like you, you What can... does the foil do to it? So the foil actually allows the gas that is created by the celery, because mm-hmm. it's one of the ones that builds that gas, that big gas and releases it. Mm-hmm. It allows the gas to move through and not get trapped in plastic. When it's trapped in plastic, like if it was in a plastic bag, that's when you get all that condensation, okay? Uh... When it's in the foil, the gas is actually releasing, even though it's being protected from the oxygen, which is not our friend. When you leave it loose in your refrigerator, mm-hmm. or even in the crisper, after like a few days, it gets floppy. Yeah. That's the oxygen. It's releasing its gases. It's also killing everything faster in there. When we wrap it in the foil, it releases the gas. Okay? But the foil protects it from the air itself. And your celery is going to stay crisp for about four to six weeks. Nice. You'll even put it in with the leaves because I like to use the leaves to cook. And if the leaves start to get a little yellow, just cut those off. You can put it in like just like that from the store and then pull off what you need and wash it. Or you can wash it all, cut the bottom and wrap those, but dry them first. It tells you that in there. Uh, it tells you to like wash your grapes and freeze them. Uh, it'll tell you stuff like that. It also will tell you like use the zucchini in the box first. Use it your first week that you have it. Mm. But it also tell you like with the eggplant, hey, this is eggplant. You know, this is what you can do with it. And we tell people with the eggplant, our most basic recipe, slice it up, right? Salt it, let the water come out, pat it dry. Rub it with a little oil and then throw it on the grill. Throw it on, on the grill on a grate on the grill, or just make sure it stays moist. You don't have to over oil it, but keep it moist. Mm-hmm. And when it cooks down and it becomes soft to touch, right? Then we're gonna take it inside and we're gonna blend it down either by knife or with like a little processor, a little salt, pepper, garlic, feel the garlic too. Um, and just some basic spices. This is like spice to you, not to what number somebody would normally eat and what you have just made is the San Antonio Tex-Mex, or not Tex-Mex version, but Tex-Mediterranean version of baba ganoush. Oh. Baba ganoush. And that eats really well with chips. It eats really well with crackers. I love baba ganoush. Really well. Yeah, and so do I. And But it's like nobody's ever told you, like, dude, that's a dip. Like, like that's, yeah. That can go right next to the salsa. Wait, that's not a main course? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Um, and that's the way that we, like, have introduced that type of, of item. That's beautiful. To I love a community that. that's used to eating things like we can cook it the same way. Yeah. You know? Like we can season it. Put your yeah. boya seasoning on it. Nobody's gonna get mad at you. Right. <laughs> Put comino, they cook with it. Yeah. And so um we also include ginger and turmeric a lot in our boxes. Nice. Uh, fresh yeah. ginger, fresh turmeric. What's the best way to store both of those? I always recommend people buy it together and use it together. Mm-hmm. Okay, especially if you're gonna have the fresh. And yeah. when you go home, you grate all of it. Like little microplates, just grate it, oh. okay, and mix it together. Like okay. you can put it in the same little container. Yeah. Grate the ginger, grate the turmeric, put a little black pepper. The black pepper helps the turmeric absorb uh, better into your body. Oh. Okay? It's a binder for it. Yeah. 
So you're going to make that little mash of it. Mm-hmm. And you can put other seasonings if you want to. Like, I, I tend to do that, too. But just ginger, turmeric, the black pepper. And then I take that little container. And I'm doing this thing with my hand that's like, like a... She's like making a, a container. container. She's making a container yeah. with her hands, um, yes. Like a little leftovers container. <laughs> or like the empty little butter container that we all Oh, make. right. Like, throw it in there. Like, that's... Um, and then I throw it in the freezer. Okay. Okay, I throw it in the freezer. And when I want to cook with it, I take out a little bit at a time frozen. And I'll either throw it into, like, soups, stews, rices, because it also makes the rice Mm -hmm. look really, really cool. Um, Or I'll take out a chunk, and I'll put it in a tea ball, Mm -hmm. and I'll make golden milk with it, or just a a turmeric ginger tea with it if I don't do the milk with it. And in the box, we put those items in there together that way, and we tell you how to make all of that Actually. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And there's usually like a lemon and an orange in there. So you yep. already have That's like exactly the basis what I got of it. for my immune yep. shots. That I'm Absolutely. Having. <laughs> yeah. And if you really like, if you get bold with it, um, do garlic with it. Don't don't put that with milk. That's gross. Yeah. But um, but mix it with garlic <laughs> and do a shot of that with a garlic. Mm-hmm. It's gonna taste funky and it's gonna kind of burn. But the garlic shot with the ginger and the turmeric and jalapeno, honestly really really good for you if you're like stuffy from allergies yeah. and stuff like that i was gonna add a little honey to that absolutely yeah and that, <laughs> that's gonna help like clear you up and it'll make you feel good if you're a juicing kind of a person that entire mixture yeah. does really well with carrot and apple nice and that's a way to, to also get that in as well smoothies and that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. i lean toward talking this, my language yeah <laughs> i lean toward the savory over the sweet of things yeah you know? same um, that's because my mom was a cake baker and it's only cake in my house all the time. Uh, too, but... Oh my gosh, you're just like okay. So I I did culinary school at St. Philip's mm-hmm. and I fell into the whole like chef world for a while. But you had mentioned you know it doesn't pay much, right? And I couldn't really like live the lifestyle that I wanted being a chef. And um, then I got into pastries and I did the pastry chef thing. So like wow. now I just don't even like sweets really at all yeah so I, I totally get that what's weird though is I spend a lot of time making thousands and thousands of pounds of probably millions of pounds of salsa I still eat salsa though salsa yeah. that's yeah. good that's <laughs> it's totally different though yeah. and then when it's your own it's like I don't care what you say this is good yeah. I made this yeah. hell yeah that's oh, that's that's so cool um <clears throat> I don't come from the food industry but I do want to share this um my I have a sister um I have several sisters but one sister my mom and then now um a brother who two of them that are in the food industry and i will just say that um anybody who works in the kitchen i have nothing but respect for because um my first and only job in the kitchen i was like nope not cut up for this and so i i get a little bit bummed out because i feel like because i didn't give it enough of a chance that there's a lot of things I didn't learn, right? And I say this, right? My mom is going to listen to this and she's probably going to get a good laugh out of it. But like, <laughs> I get the notion that my mom thinks that I don't know how to cook. And that's not true. I just cook different things because I like to experiment. My mom being my mom and how old she is, I think she's, this is how you do things. This is how we learned it. And I'm a little bit different. That being said, my sister is not that way. My sister does like to experiment and she has, but I find my mom and my sister sort of coming at me like, why would you do that, right? Because they've been in the kitchen. I didn't learn that, right? And I can't think of an example, but, you know, maybe knives, right? Like there's knives for everything and I just have one knife and it just does the job. And somebody like my mom or my sister are like, (laughs) <laughs> what are you doing right now? Yeah. So I feel a little bit like sometimes I don't want to say left out of conversations because that's not really it at all. But I do feel like I wish I would have given the food industry a little bit more than just one day. Mm-hmm. Okay. My first job was Bill Miller's and <laughs> oh, that's a terrible example. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was there for a day and, uh, I, it was real slippery back in the kitchen and my oh, foot, yeah. uh, I, kind of slipped and my foot hit the back of my manager's foot and she it, she went ballistic and she stuck me in the back to do pickles and onions and I was like I mean it's kind of bad back here I'm sorry that I almost <laughs> busted like right and so that that experience I just was like can't do it 
can do food. And I never went back. I never did food. I never was there. But I know people who work in the food industry that work the back of the kitchen. And I know that, yes, it's not the best place to work. Yes, it's probably dirtier than we think or want to imagine. But I do think that um, you said it earlier, right? Like just playing with the food and, and experimenting with the food. And I love that. Mm -hmm. I do that in my own space. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's yes. because I just, I like to try new things. And so you talk about, you know, your box and you talk about all the things that are in the, in the, the box and, you know, just teaching people how, yes, this is new, but how can we incorporate something that you're already familiar with and marry the flavors together? And I absolutely freaking love that. Like that is, that is amazing. Um, there's that. And I also want to say, um, going back to your story, first of all, thank you for sharing your story about, you know, what happened to your neck, mm -hmm. your back, your neck and your back. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> your neck. Um, because you said something, and I think you know this, um, but just in case, right, you said that that was, for you, that was a dark time in your life. Very mm -hmm. tough time to get through. And then you kind of segued into how, it kind of led you to what you're doing now, right? And then you found yourself again, but it happened when society was now going through something dark. And I firmly believe that you had to go through that so that you could carry that that burden, right? Mm -hmm. For everybody else, because nobody knew what we were getting into, right? right? I, I won't, I, I've shared this story before, I'll share it again. My holistic doctor asked me this question, right at the beginning of the pandemic, what are you doing to protect yourself? And um, me very naively said, I'm wearing a mask, I'm sanitizing. And she's like, no, what are you doing? Because society is not meant to be locked up. This, And we're gonna pay for it. And three years later, four years later, I don't know how long we've been in this pandemic, I now know what she meant by that question. Nobody was prepared for this. Yeah. And so, Although your experience was not the greatest, right? Nobody wants to go through that. Um, you did go through it. And as a result of that, you were able to help people get through that. And it was through my favorite thing in the whole wide world, which is food. Okay. And I can say that because, you know, I do like food. But <laughs> I, like I've, always, like <laughs> I've always just felt that food is that one thing that does bring community together. You could have people over here and people over here that don't like each other, but you give them a plate of something good to eat and all of that goes away. <coughs> Excuse me. And although, you know, you talked about, you know, um, giving away produce or selling produce and it was at the height of the pandemic and that wasn't the intention, right? To like take advantage of the situation. Um, I still think that it's just a good thing that could have come out of the situation, you know? So, you know, I'm glad that you got through what you went through. I'm pretty sure that that was an, an easy journey. But mm -hmm. I mean, when I look at the results and like the big picture and what it is you're doing now, and I know the tip of the iceberg, I'm pretty sure there's a lot that you have to share. Yeah. Um, it's exciting because I am somebody who like, I'm very passionate about community. And anytime I see the community get together, um, it doesn't matter what the event is, food is in the middle of it. Yeah. And um, people have different styles of cooking and they have different ways to eat this and do that. But at the end of the day, we're all enjoying the same thing. <clears throat> and it would be so amazing. I mean, just to be able to contribute to that in some way, shape or form, which is why I want to start my garden. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, I want to be able to give back to the community and see the smiles on their faces because they were able to get that right. Just like you talk about um, getting excited, mm -hmm. right? Let's get people excited, but I think that has to start. What needs to happen first is the education yes. and getting people to feel comfortable with what they're doing because we're not always going to, well, we might always have access to the same thing, but how can we experiment with something different? How can we discover a different way to cook something, right? Because at the end of the day, when you can cook differently, then you're not so dependent on the potatoes and the tomatoes. There's nothing wrong with those things, right. but... There may not always be there. And then you're going to end up with the chayote squash, right? Yep. What are you going to do with it? I want to learn, besides putting in my caldo, 
I want to do something else with that. So we'll do that next time. <laughs> and, and people ask me, they're like, um, so why is lettuce so expensive? Did you bring lettuce? I'm like, you know, there's a world of greens out there that aren't lettuce. Yeah. And so they're like, better than it's lettuce. It's really pricey. Yeah. Let's, let's move to some other things. And yeah. just like, you know, to your point, when uh, I, I was, I was part of a group of chefs that responded to Hurricane Harvey. Mm. Mm-hmm. And at the time, and my friend James Cantor, he's going to listen to this, and he lives in Korea now. He just moved. but um, And he's been on the Food Network, and he's super awesome. famous. But Can- James Cantor was living in Victoria at the time. Mm-hmm. And I just opened a chop shop. It hadn't been open very long, maybe like six months. And I knew him through a chef's group that I used to be a part of mm-hmm. where we did um, uh, nice dinners for, like, local farms uh, and to help them raise money for their like local farms, it's called mm-hmm. Chef Cooperatives, mm-hmm. um, and it's still a great organization. But I'm just not affiliated with it anymore. But um, but at the time we all were, and it was a very close knit group of people. And I leaned into that group many times over mm-hmm. the years. Mm-hmm. But when Harvey happened and it hit Victoria and it devastated, mm-hmm. Cancer went on Facebook immediately and was like, "Everything is gone. It's this. It's that." He was crying. He's a large man. Like he's mm. like. He's a big dude, and uh, my chef brother's a big dude, and mm-hmm. so, and he was like, "But I'm gonna stay here and keep feeding everybody." Yeah. And he kept his luncheonette open, and I started calling people I knew, and this large group of us mobilized and sent supplies over and over again. I got the food bank down there. The chefs went and cooked for weeks and took turns cooking, and I kept sending produce, and we were holding stuff at our warehouse, mm-hmm. and um, and then we went back and did a big dinner to benefit Victoria. And Cantor did that, and it was so selfless, and it was so, oh, it was amazing to be a part of it, you know? Mm. He was in a documentary on HBO, and because he did that, though, and I learned this in that moment, um, community has always been such a big part of my life, mm-hmm. and, and being of service and volunteering, mm-hmm. I was always the first one, mm-hmm. I was the mom that was making you volunteer, even going back to being a kid, so in times where I feel lost, I look to build community, I think, as much as I look to feed, right? Sure. And that is the, when we talk about feeding people, and I said, for as long as I can remember, all I want to do is feed people. Mm -hmm. You realize later that that's not just with food, but it's in mind, body, and soul. Yeah, of course. And the things that we're doing are part of what that is. And Cancer went and did this. It was a group of people that chefs are notoriously not that selfish. There's the Jose Andres of the world, but... Really, that's not a whole lot of people out there. Yeah. Like that. And so um, he did this, and we it made us all even closer. And he and I became very good friends during that time mm-hmm. and stayed very good friends. And I saw him over the last few years mobilize similar relief efforts when natural disasters were happening all around the country, you know, and he was good at it. And people believed in him for that. Mm-hmm. And he was thrived in those moments. Mm-hmm. And when COVID happened, and everything shut down, it shut him down. He was in the process of starting to open a new restaurant. I was opening it with him. Shut everything down. All of his business, all of his catering, all of his food truck. And he didn't know what to do. Mm. This wasn't a natural disaster in the sense of it wasn't a flood, it wasn't mm. a hurricane, sure. right? It wasn't a tornado. This was something else. Mm-hmm. And he was very afraid of it. Not that I wasn't afraid of it, but he didn't know how to respond right. He didn't mm-hmm. know what to do. He was scared, and people immediately looked to him and were like, the great James Cancer, he's going to solve it all again. And that's a hard moment to be in when you're Mm -hmm. like, I'm like everybody else. Yeah. You know, and he had to have that moment. And I'll never forget, I was sitting outside in front of this restaurant called Gray's, which is something else now. And, uh, and they were shutting it down during that time. Mm. And a good friend of mine as a chef was helping shut it down. And they were doing meals for um, people that were food industry workers who didn't have food. And we were picking free meals up there and we were delivering them out to people. And I was sitting in front of there because I was about to pick up a bunch of meals like that on top of the other stuff that we were trying to give out to people. And Cancer and I were on the phone and we cried. We cried together. He cried. Um... Because he didn't know what to do. Oh, man. And, um, and he was devastated because everyone was looking to him. And he didn't have those answers. And, uh, and like I said, you know, I was coming out of the dark time. He knew what that was, too. And, uh, 
And he's like, what are we supposed to do? I said, you work to feed people. It's just what we do. Yeah. And um, he was always such a huge supporter of everything that I did and all of my ideas. And when everybody, when I had my own business, I had the chop shop open, and that was earlier on into our friendship, everybody wanted me to sell to restaurants and chefs and caterers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I didn't want to do it. It's my least favorite way to feed people, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just is. Um, it's necessary. It's not my favorite way. And and he listened to my ideas. And even though those weren't his ideas and they weren't the things he was trying to do, he paid attention to it. He empowered me to feel like one of him in times when I didn't. Because he was like, dude, that's chef shit too, Jamie. I mean, that's... You know, the way that you think about food, that is it. Like, that's a chef's thinking. And, and help me not be embarrassed of what that was because I was belittled by my peers many times over. Mm. And, um, and we stayed friends. And in those moments, we, we changed, we changed jobs. You know, now he did go on to feed a lot of people during COVID mm-hmm. and he got it together and he figured it out and helped yeah. me and stuff. Like, it, 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 it went. But in that moment, it didn't. Mm. And um, he and his wife just recently relocated to Korea with their sons because it's like their dream to live there. So I'm Korean, and she's teaching English, and he like is relocated. But you know, Victoria helped him become well known and understand who he was and what he was really trying to do with food. It got him on the Food Network. It got him a lot of things, and um, and because of that, it got me things later. You know. Yeah. And his support and his and his loyalty and his yeah. devotion and stuff too. And I always think of that because he I've seen other people and other chefs face those same moments and mm-hmm. not have the honesty to say, I don't know what to do this time. Mm-hmm. And he did. Yeah, and he did. And so I, I saw him be more of a man and more of a human in different times like that than most people that I know. Sure. Which is why we are lifelong friends. And, you know, he's watched this journey and he's been part of it and he's promoted it and he shares it and he does all the things. And during COVID, when everyone was like really struggling and he was really struggling, I was randomly showing up at their house and like leaving them boxes of produce. And, um, you know, it's nice to be the produce fairy. It makes you feel good. Yeah. And, uh, but I learned a lot from that and from him Mm -hmm. and, and what that response is. So very much like what you were saying in that dark time, you know. Had I not had the network I did in that part of my relationship with food, I would have been even more devastated. Mm-hmm. And because of my age and where I come from and the culture I come from, I was not raised to talk about my feelings or yeah. my emotions or the things that were sure. eating me up inside that broke my body to begin with. You know, mm-hmm. and people are like, "How did you break? How did you break your neck?" I was like, "I broke it myself." And I had to be very honest with myself during that time in a way that I had never been publicly about the darkness of what that is. Mm-hmm. And I, I know you see my social media. I'm very public on my social media, but I don't mm-hmm. overshare. Mm-hmm. But there are times that I do and say things because I'm holding myself accountable. I'm that person. Mm-hmm. If I print it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Right? If I said it, it's going to happen. And when I started healing from my neck, uh, from the surgery, and just in general, and I struggled with it, I was very honest about it. I wasn't honest on like Facebook and Instagram in a way where people were finally like, ooh, this is uncomfortable, Jamie. Not like that. Yeah. But in a way where I checked in every month for years. Mm-hmm. You know, I do it like twice a year now. Um, I was very honest about mourning the loss of myself and what that was and, and what that felt like. And I told people, I was like, I'm going to be honest about this because I need people to know, but also so that a year from now when I read this again, I will never forget. I started to forget right before the surgery. I couldn't even find my way to the right target, much less know what target I was in. Mm. Um, And so I didn't know what was going to happen. And then I never wanted to forget. Those Facebook memories are not always good, right? And so, But if you document those times and you're real with yourself about them, and you never know when they're going to creep up on you and be like, oh, that's a reminder I needed today. And so I did that. And it was the first time I was honest in that way publicly yeah. Yeah. that I said hey I'm struggling like I, I can't I'm not I'm not okay yeah, yeah I, I don't I don't feel good I'm not okay with this um, I'm lost I'm scared I don't have anything and I was always surrounded by people 
it's never been that people don't support you, right? But in those moments, there's many of us that are like, until I isolate myself and, and figure it out, then that's the only the way that I know how to fix. Mm-hmm. And um, and I had to learn not to, to disappear from the world. Yeah. Had I disappeared in that time, we would not be sitting here today. And so when COVID did happen, it really changed. You know, it, it made me, I had that moment. Mm-hmm. I had that moment where... I got really mad after I got hurt and I had my surgery mm-hmm. and people were like, dude, you're going to be okay. You're so resilient. You're so resilient. And I really have almost died like five times, but, um, they're like, you're so resilient. You're going to be fine. It's going to bounce back. First of all, it diminished the severity of the injury when mm-hmm. people would say that to me, like they didn't understand. Sure. And then they couldn't see it. Yeah. I'm not in a wheelchair. It wasn't like, you know, people don't understand when you don't feel part of your spine sometimes, but you can still walk. Mm-hmm. And so there was that. I was tired of being resilient yeah. all the time, yeah. all the time. I was tired of it. I didn't want to be resilient. I wanted to be able to like hide and be broken and be sad and have lost my business and almost lost my husband and freaked out my kids and not have to be like fighting and trying. Sure. I'm so jealous of people that like give up or, or that I thought that that was them giving up, you know? Mm. And I've seen people do that. I've lost people close to me, mm-hmm. but I couldn't do that. And I was so pissed off about it. I was so like, you know, I don't want to be resilient. I don't want you to call me that. I don't want to feel that. I want to be able to break and be broken, you know? Yeah. I want to not be strong. And all the people are like, dude, you're going to be fine. You're so strong. You don't know how strong I am. Like, you don't know what I'm doing at home when you're yeah. not there and I'm crying watching King of the Hill. You know, like, you don't know my comfort shows. And, um, and I really had to learn because nobody taught me that. We talk about how nobody teaches us how to do certain things with food or to cook or to do those things. I was a latchkey kid in the 80s to parents that worked more than full-time to a mom that had her own side business was the PTA president was all of the things. And, you know, I was not taught how to process emotion appropriately. It broke me. I love my parents. It's not their fault. Sure. We come from, but that's what got me there. And so I was on, I saw, I started following this like daily devotional thing. And, uh, and every day it would be like, you know, today's Tuesday, the whatever. And, you know, tell yourself this, and you're going to be strong one day. And it was the kind of thing that I would have never done prior to that. Mm-hmm. I'm terrible at meditating. They had mm-hmm. somebody that tried to, like, sit with me before we knew my neck was broken because of pain. And I think that person quit their job after that. That was, like, <laughs> trying to, like, guided, and they were just like, no, we give up. And so um, I was never quiet enough, I don't think. And so um, I started to do that. And then I started to read, in one of them it talked about grief. And I was familiar with death, and I was familiar with grief in that way. And I, I had a lot of experience with that prior to it, but I never knew about your own grief for yourself. Sure. Yeah, not you many know? people do. Yeah. And going to those like quiet spots in your brain, it's just the scariest thing you can do. Absolutely. It's hard to overcome that, but... I mean, you did it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're still probably doing it. Still. Yeah, and, and I, there's days where I'm still like, I hate produce, I don't like this, I don't like anybody, I don't want to do this anymore. I have those days still. Not a lot of days, but there's still those days yeah. of like, I don't like people. I don't like any of you people. You know, like it's, yeah. So stop yeah, asking me about energy produce. Yeah. Around yeah. you. Oh, yeah. Just got to decompress that. Um, and so it really, I worked through that. That was a turning point for me. And... COVID came along shortly after that. Mm-hmm. I, I used to think that I had healed prior to COVID, not even like in that way, yeah, but like yeah. at the beginning of COVID when I was like, well, I'm not as like, I'm not feeling that social anxiety that other people are right now. And I knew why. And early on I was like, wow, all of this got me to here. And I knew that it did, but so many things happened after that, that actually showed me that I was still healing. That, that I needed to, to do these mm-hmm. other things and evolve again and mm-hmm. grow again. And um, and it was the catalyst for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and as terrible as COVID has been, and I've had COVID twice, but as terrible as COVID has been to, like, us as a society and, and the world, 
I thrived during that time, mm-hmm. which is also another weird thing to do, like that happens during yeah, the time. Sure. But, you know, I, I did, I rediscovered my sense of purpose and in you, and I did have a moment where I was like, this is probably why my body broke. Not because of, not that it broke because I did something myself, but like, yeah. this was that moment this of, this was the reason for, this is the reason. And they're all, it always happens for a reason, you know, yeah. and I finally stopped being like resentful. Even when I thought I wasn't resentful of certain things anymore, there there still is. There's yeah. always those old little like triggers, you know. And I got to that point though, where yeah, I was you like, found gratitude in the time that oh, you yeah. thought was the worst part of your life, which it was. But yeah. oh, it was terribly ungrateful though. Like when I lived, I was just like, why? You know, like it really, mm. I really went through that. I've used that. I I do a lot of conversations with people now where some of this doesn't even come up, even though I kind of thought it would lead here today. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got to a point where when that's not the first part of the conversation in the room, I was like, wow, I've really like, there's people that know me now who didn't know me prior to having Mm -hmm. a scar on my throat that Mm -hmm. I have. And they either see it and they're never going to ask or they see it and they're like, what is that? Or I've come across people and they're like, I have the same thing, Jamie. Like, were you stabbed? You know, no. I tell people I got stabbed. Oh, no. Um, no, I was Just not in stabbed. a different way. Yeah. <laughs> not in a good way. Um, and so, you know, it's a, it was life changing. It, it yeah. really, really was. Um, I used to say that if I had opened my shop, the chop shop and then it failed in a year, which it didn't fail in a year. It was open a couple of years that at least my children saw that I was not afraid to go after something that Mm -hmm. I was like, Mm -hmm. this is it. Mm -hmm. And at the time, the box that I make now wasn't even the box I was making then. And I remember thinking the box is like, if I can launch this box, this is going to be my greatest thing. Like I studied these things. And then I got to a point later where I did that. And then I did the market. And then I got to start really talking about food the way that I wanted to. Yeah. And the idea of what that box was, yeah, you know, it, it was so much bigger. And, and it, it's such a bigger box than what I thought it was to begin with. So, yeah. <laughs> That's, I, um, I truly do admire your story and just everything yeah. that you talked about. I will say, I think Kat can relate. We, we understand when you say, you know, you, you grew up basically, you know, just repressing emotions. I think we, we've talked about that before. Mm-hmm being able to, you know, things that we do now, our actions now are a result of what we learned growing up and we don't realize that it's our defense mechanism. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I've had to go through my journey and that's me now is the healing. And to your point, it's very challenging. Yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't until recently that I opened up about my own mental health and I even had a conversation in my last episode with we talk about emotional intelligence and um, my guest at the time, Keisha, she just shared how her constantly being positive was overshadowing other people's situations like you talked about, right? right? People telling you you're resilient. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I have learned is that and I agree with you, right? I have always been that person that is strong for everyone. But I got to a point where I'm like, I I, I'm not. I, that's a front. Mm-hmm. That's what I want for all of y'all to see. But the, my reality is that I'm not okay. I do need help. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn how to do that because my inability to ask for help mm-hmm. was because I was raised. I was the oldest child. Yeah. I had to be strong for my my siblings, yeah. even though inside that was I was scared. I didn't know what I was doing. But then then as I got older... That's the person that I became. And I thought that's acceptable because I'm a chingona. No, that you don't have to be that person all the time. No one told you. But when everybody sees you that way, that's they how they... That cool. That's yeah. how they made you feel cool, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody, I always say, is everybody wants to feel cool. Like they want to be... Even yeah. people that are like, I don't need to be part of anything. That's you trying to be cool. Right. You know? like, oh, so trying to be cool. Yeah, so trying to be cool, right? Um, and it's like food is like that. When we have yeah. a lot of access to food or when we know about things or we know about right. food, we feel cool. That celery thing, that's going to make you feel cool in a room. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be telling thing. everyone about yeah, it. Yeah, like, do you know about the chayote squash? It's lazy people squash. And so, you know, and, uh, and like at the senior programs, the same thing. They want to feel cool. When, and just like you're saying, when it comes to being able to process how we feel and express our emotion do it in a positive way um 
I leaned into food. Yeah. And a lot of people, they'll tell you when they, when you hear that story, they're like, I leaned into food and I didn't stop eating for three years. <laughs> Clearly that didn't happen either. You know? but that's not how she leaned into food. That's not how I leaned into food. It was, <laughs> I didn't do that. But I knew, just like I knew when I wanted to come back and work in food again, in, in those moments, what was going to make me feel good? What was, where were the times that I was happy and that I had joy? Mm-hmm. Um, it was making fideo with weenies. That's like my favorite comfort food, by the way. Fideo with weenies. I love My aunt, who didn't know how to cook when I was younger and took care of me, she used to put weenies in it, and it's my favorite thing today. It's like the original never... fideo loco. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite. And there's a Korean soup that's very similar to it. Ooh. And it has a very similar noodle, but also has gnocchi mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And they slice up a sausage that might as well be the fudge. Like the, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Needs in it, yeah. Um, but I, I did. I, I started to cook, and and I was cooking at home all the time. I don't get to do it enough, and I was making all the things that I loved, and I was posting it, and I was posting all my food that looked just as good as all the chef's food. And I'm like, my rice is better than yours. My this, my chicken on a stick. We did a whole chicken on a stick thing during guest study during COVID, and I was like, I have the best chicken on a stick, and my husband. Um, who has followed my food journey my whole life and is, and works with me now. Um, and, and sometimes we've been great at it, and sometimes we're not that great at it. Um, <laughs> nowadays we're pretty great at it. But he and I um, have never had a very traditional relationship. However, right when I was getting hurt, I really thought that I was going to end my very long relationship with the man that I call my husband, mm. who also ran the front office of my business, and I have two children with. And I convinced myself that I was going to do that. And then I broke my neck. And once again, this man's dragging me, you know, mm-hmm. out of the bowels of almost dying. And, and there he was. And in those moments. That's good, though. Absolutely. He started doing the demos with me at the senior markets, in like, in this last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's seen the hard life that food has provided for myself, like, at times where... This is sometimes thankless work. It's not always the most, yeah. you know, financially rewarding sure. work and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It's it's hurt me. It's almost killed me. It's taken from us, and and yet I'm still like, yeah, get me back in there. You know, let's do yeah. this again. We're it's gonna be okay. And on those days, I'm sure that he has moments where he's like, shit, she's crazy. And <laughs> um, but he started to do the the demos with me, and and I will pat myself on the back and say that I'm I'm really good at talking to people and talking to them in that moment about food and getting them excited and to get an 80 year old excited about kale like right it's easier <laughs> to get you two excited to about get kale. anybody <laughs> excited about kale yeah. oh i'm like who hates kale and they all raise their hand i'm like but do you like cabbage and they say yes and i'm like that's cabbage it's cabbage it comes from cabbage broccoli kale cabbage cauliflower brussels sprouts they're all the same people would tell me they don't like brussels sprouts i'm like do you like cabbage yeah i'm like it's miniature cabbage. It's baby cabbage. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's totally baby. Grows on stalks, baby cabbage. And so, he um, he gets to see me do that. He knows I enjoy it. Yeah. He started having help serve because we have like a hundred people at all these demos now. Yes. Yeah. Hundred seniors. They show up to eat broccoli with me, and and he gets to serve and he's being a part of it. But when I inevitably get the questions from the seniors about growing food, which is this where we're gonna talk about you growing food, right? Um, <laughs> Inevitably, they're like, um, what if I want to grow all of this? Can you grow this? I'm like, no, I can't grow this. I have a black thumb. That's why I have that guy. He knows how to grow things. My husband does know how to grow things. He's very good at it. When I decided to leave healthcare, one of the other reasons was because he introduced me to the urban gangster gardener, gardener Ron Finley. Yes, yes I love him. His TED Talk. The guy's crazy. Um, he showed me his TED Talk, and I was just like, doing the wrong thing and uh, and I wasn't even trying to grow all the food but like you don't have to or you can be somebody like me who knows how to get it out there and connect people with it mm-hmm. and do that first step because I will tell you that most people do not want to grow their own food yeah. super popular very like well like intention like everybody should want to grow food my husband was really good at it you know how he got good at it because he saw program after program at the Good Samaritan Center where a very well-intentioned teacher was going to do a raised bed garden. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do a raised bed garden and all the kids are going to grow food. We're going to feed the neighborhood. Not with one. 
First of all, not with one, right? Right. <laughs> but then they would leave for like their breaks or whatever, and it would all die. And my husband was a facilities manager. Mm. So what did he start doing? Taking care of the raised bed garden. He grew more produce out of that thing than they did. He got into aquaponics that way. He discovered Ron Finley. He was growing potatoes in a container, like all the stuff. And I'm just like, I'll cook it. You know, like that's... <laughs> That's my contribution. Just don't make me garden. I don't like it outside. And I like the refrigerator that we're in at the warehouse. And so um, I most likely be attacked by the chickens. I really don't care.